Every breath a black trans woman takes is an act of revolution. Quote from Lords Ashley Hunter, the executive director of the Trans Woman of Color Collective, TWOCC. anthology it is i jade and melanie i realized while i'm recording this now that i didn't write down the theme of this episode there so i can't remember what the actual theme was the theme is it's bark bark (laughs) it's um (laughs) it's problematic oppressed people that's p-o-p holding it down p-o-p Oh my god, <laughs> that meme. It's just a, this is a day of old memes, I see. Apparently. And a day of um, sporadic feedback that I'm not going to edit out. So I just want to apologize in advance. We have a couple of announcements before we begin today's episode. Right, right. So Hispanic Heritage Month, they are still calling it that, started on September 15th. It runs until October 15th. Shout out your local Latinos from the Haitians to the Chileans, from the El Salvadorians, to the Uruguayans, and the Cubans specifically. I gotta give a shout out to the Cubans. Um, There was a full moon in Pisces on the 15th. Saturn is direct starting the 18th, which is the day that we are recording this. Um, If you wanna know more about what that means, I suggest that you read Chetty Nicholas's horoscopes and or the Hood Witch. I just like the Hood Witch, um, their aesthetic and stuff. But yeah, that's all the announcements that I had. I only have a little bit of spooky news. I didn't know that we had more than one Friday the 13th this year. We had one this month, and there's also another one. I'm not sure if it's October or November, but in the later half of the year. It's in December, a nightmare before Christmas, if you will. I saw that on Twitter. (laughs) That is not my original joke. But yeah, there was also September the 13th, which was also like right before the fucking full moon. Or, like, actually, no, the full moon was actually on the 14th, unless you live in the West Coast and it was the 13th. Anyway, Friday was kind of wild. Not for me. I saw, like, other people's shit going haywire, but, yeah, Friday 13th <laughs> recently passed. I was actually out on Friday the 13th. I saw the um, Stephen King's It Chapter 2 also that same day. I was supposed to see that today, but um, timing. It didn't work out. You know... <laughs> it's a thing it's a movie but yes back to the our episode on problematic oppressed people p.o.p holding it down i swear that's p.o.p i'm gonna be mad as heck you know i make the title up as i'm editing so we'll figure it out um but yeah so okay i can start like like what inspired this episode you're kind of directing the i rather I unfortunately am directing this episode. Um, executive director. Okay. <laughs> Hello. So what inspired this episode? I don't... I mean, we will talk about it, but I don't want it to be the focus of this episode. Um, but what inspired this episode was that on Twitter, there's like a lot of... A lot of discussions around trans women and more explicitly like showcasing how black cis women are transphobic as hell and so what that made me think about 
is people can be in a marginalized group but still subscribe to an oppressive mindset. And specifically, it made me think of, um, I follow Julesy, and recently there was like a big brouhaha on her page with like uh, hyper hypergamy, um, which you can go look on her page and find out like all the shit that was happening. But with all the stuff that was happening with her page, it made me think of like stubborn, narrow-minded people who have really big platforms who are spreading harmful rhetoric. Another really good example um, that I don't want to focus on is PewDiePie, right? Like PewDiePie spent, like, like, sorry, I also went to happy hour, so I'm like, what are words? But (laughs) PewDiePie spews a lot of, like, Nazi rhetoric and, like, has a lot of Nazi imagery in his stuff. And he has a massive platform that doesn't relate to politics at all. But because he has this huge platform, he has the potential to spread this, um, (laughs) like, mindset to a whole bunch of different people. And I, I want us to focus on black women because I think it's really, really easy to look at people who have really big pots of power within society and be like, this is how you're being problematic, Mr. White Man, Miss White Lady, Mr. Black Man, because you are in a position of power that's so like prominent in our society. But I think cis, straight black women also have to acknowledge the places in which they have privilege and push their power in a way that oppresses other people both within and outside of their group. So it's easy to point out, like, the PewDiePie's, the, um, I don't watch white people on YouTube, but it's easy to point out, like, white influencers and be like, yo, this is how you are pushing harmful harmful rhetoric. But I want our conversation today to focus more so on black women specifically um, who have platforms in which they can push harmful rhetoric. I know a, a good place where you can find a whole lot of them it's in the church, <laughs> in the house of the Lord. But um, I'm trying to think of recently in like in celebrity news, um, a black actress I believe was supporting someone who was problematic, and that like hit the shade room or whatever. And people were like, "Why are they doing this?" But it's like they put that out there. They they want that energy. So, but even the shade room itself is like super. Um, toxic, right? Oh, unbelievably toxic. I can't stand that platform. Yeah. Or a good example in recent... um, I don't know if this is a good example for our our topic, but an example in recent social media is Lizzo. She, like, posted a picture of her Postmates person who apparently ate her food and didn't bring it, and people were like... The picture she posted had the person's photo, their name, and their phone number. And people were like, you're putting this woman at risk to your millions of followers when you could have just reported the issue with Postmates. Um, So that's, like, perhaps another example. This fucking feedback. (laughs) That's really dangerous. I think a lot of people um, who have big platforms, especially, I guess, when black women make it big, it's kind of, they have this, like, momentary, like, oh, I'm gonna just wild out because I made it big and I can just say whatever the hell I want. And that's really dangerous. Um, I even have examples of this <laughs> from my own communities. Ooh, but I'm not here to spill that type of tea today. <laughs> so, today. Next week, perhaps. Yeah, not today. Maybe, yeah, maybe next week. But, yeah. Um, 
So when you're saying harmful rhetoric, let's define that for the people at home. What type of harmful rhetoric are you thinking of in the case of this episode? The rhetoric that inspired this episode was like transphobic rhetoric. But I think honestly, um, so so something, uh, blah, blah, blah. I mentioned Julesy earlier and Julesy, like I said, had this thing over like the past week or so with people assuming that some of the stuff she was saying, it was actually over like the past month, with people assuming some of the arguments she was making against black women being in marriages, being targeted towards specific people. And in the last video she did addressing it, she said, I don't center my arguments around other black women unless they are doing things that are harmful and cause violence towards communities. And so when I mean harmful rhetoric, I mean things that are like directly causing harm or could directly cause harm towards other communities. Um, so like transphobic rhetoric, right? Like you talking about real women, quotation marks, versus trans women, like that is harmful rhetoric because you're pushing this idea that like trans women are others um, and that we should be afraid of them. Uh, I think within the black community, a lot of harmful rhetoric that you'll see people who are like, very racially conscious will push is homophobic or transphobic rhetoric. There's also like a lot of people who who promote a lot of ableist rhetoric of like, I don't want a child who's not, particularly with like thinking about child rearing or whatever. Um, But I think anything that just could like, anything that could cause harm towards another community that you might not be a part of or that you have privilege over. I was actually not to drag my mom and Exposed. So idea <laughs> there's the idea that like, you know, black people can't be racist. And so I used to say that I think a lot and now I actually followed it up, follow up with it by saying but black people can be prejudiced because a lot of um, racially charged conversations within the black community can also hold a lot of prejudice and also equally um, put out stereotypes for other communities. And that's dangerous for any progress that we hope to achieve in any area, to be honest. But with older black women, I see that it's very popular for them to be prejudiced. I mean, I guess progress just doesn't reach past a certain year. I I, I don't know. I think even if we look at other, ooh, okay, sorry, I'm very close to the mic. I think even if we look at other racial groups, like a lot of other people of color are very anti-black, right? And I think there is this, like, what what came first, Asians hating black people or black people hating Asians? You know, stuff like that where it's like, yeah, there are a lot of black people who are, like, um, really conservative in their mindsets and, like, don't like other racial groups. But it is a question of, like, those racial groups also, like, um, don't trust you when you walk into stores and, like, don't want you to marry their kids and all this other stuff and, like, tell their kids um, not to walk around outside so they don't get dark skin. So it's a question of which comes first, like, you hating black people or black people hating you. Um, but I agree so um, something that you have here is what well, we're starting with on the outline are big platforms and how they pass on harmful rhetoric. Obviously, a very big aspect of this is social media. Like uh, Lizzo sharing a screenshot on to her Twitter, like girl, like you putting 
all this person's business out there to millions of people and a lot of people do that who have big platforms like they're so angry and heated in a, a very like small over something like really small but then they don't think about the aftermath to what they're about to put out um Juvia's Place was an interesting example of like social media after play uh like you know aftermath and the narratives that came out of that dispute in the YouTube makeup industry were also like really really crazy <laughs> I mean I spent a couple of hours on YouTube looking into that stuff like that's for me when it gets to that point when I'm on YouTube looking at videos that means it's just too far it's too big you know I don't know with like black YouTube black beauty guru YouTube another issue is or a hot point of argument is Jackie Ina and like a lot of people don't like her for various reasons um which I don't know I think that's something different I think there's something about like clout and the amount of followers you have and the ability to spread a message regardless of what it is that makes people dislike you or buy into you a lot more and I think that's also what what pushes people to post things on social media right because if i have thirty thousand followers and i at postmates talking about bad customer service they want to fix that immediately because i have a bigger um i have a bigger reach than someone who only has 30 followers right and they want to like crowd control and image control um but there is also an aspect of just like knowing the potential reach of somebody and disliking them off of that regardless of whatever their message is because there's a lot of people who hate Jackie Ina just because of like the platform that she has built like regardless of whether or not they agree with what she is pushing but I think that's different from someone who is openly earnestly being transphobic and pushing transphobia as like a means of protecting the black woman the black quote-unquote biological woman um and, like, someone who collaborated with Two-Face when Two-Face's owner is, like, low-key anti-black. You know what I mean? Like, those are two different two different pools of fuckery. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're neighboring pools at best. There's a fence in between, but it's not a very high I'm dead. It's like a chain link. You can see all, onto the other side. But speaking of, like... The, the the narrative, or I should say the rhetoric, because we're using that word, of um, biological black woman. So black femininity is something that's like very popular as a thing to push forward on any platform. And how people do it, like, obviously varies, but there is something interesting about black femininity when it comes to being in the house of God. Oh, my God. <laughs> no pun intended. This is, this is my time. <laughs> But, um, like, earlier, was it today or was it this week? Time is an illusion. But she asked me, like, if I ever wore pants. That in, was yesterday, um, yeah. In church. And I actually went and asked my sisters, too. I was like, have you guys ever worn pants at church? Because, like, you know, we attended the good old Baptist church. At Maryland South, so does that count as a Southern Baptist church? <laughs> but, um... It really is. I also have a hard time thinking it's itself until I leave my lovely bubble. But um, when I was asking around, I also asked a couple other like 
I'm gonna say church friends because like we're we're friends from church, but we don't go to church no more. Does that does that make sense? <laughs> and so I was asking, I was like, did you ever wear pants? And the answer was no. And I'm like, I like I could have swore I've definitely worn pants in church, but there's something about the way these interactions in that space work that like I feel like I wouldn't have been comfortable wearing pants in that setting, and so I wore dresses or skirts. Um, and that was for a lot of black women who were attending church. I don't think that it was, I guess, looked upon well if you wore pants to church, even though it's something so small and tiny, and it's because black femininity is such a very powerful tool that is used within that setting, which is annoying because, like, you know, the patriarchy and whatever. But I think out of that, when you're in that sort of environment, it also kind of forces you to think that you need to constantly present femininity in what is defined as being femme or feminine. To the point that, like, anything that goes against that thing pushes you to talk negative about it. Maybe even recite scripture in the very bad way that you're not supposed to because you should not use scripture as a way to talk down to someone. And whenever you challenge black femininity within the church setting there is so much gossip and negativity that circulates and it spreads. And it's not just from within the congregation. It can be from people who are higher up within the church setting who have more power and who have more say in that space. I don't know, like, I don't know if you've ever had that experience when you go to church Bruh. or if you went to church. I've been to church probably, like, fewer times than I can count on both hands. But I do think that's a really good note of, like, you have to perform femininity because something that I saw particularly with like the hypergamy conversations and just like looking more into that side of people or the, the like people on that side of social media is that there's like this desperation to perform femininity from a certain group of black women um, in a way that fits very much within like Eurocentric standards. And that means like a very delicate um, pristine type of femininity that might mean like you never wear pants to church. Um, you always have a man pay for the bill. You um, drink water. Because <laughs> apparently that's like a high feminine thing. But there are like these random arbitrary standards of what is femininity and this huge pressure to form it. And it's this pressure to perform it because black women have not been allowed to be feminine without recognizing that the things that you perceive as being feminine are actually pushed upon you by like Eurocentric standards of white people saying what it means to be feminine. Um, and so like we can see that very easily in church, right? With things like you don't get to wear pants. Women don't get to be pastors. You don't get to question shit as a woman. Um, you might not even get necessarily get to speak as a woman. But I think outside of church, we get to see that in a bunch of other ways of like, you should be happy with whatever energy that a man is giving you because at least he's giving you attention, right? You should be performing a certain way. You should always be smiling and happy and like just doing all this stuff because it's, it's performing femininity without acknowledging or questioning the root of that. Um, that I, I don't know. I think it pops up in a bunch of different ways. And it made me think that, like, a big part of it is it is connected to power. And, again, like, if we are defining femininity through a white lens, that means that we're also defining femininity through a lens that is desperate and 
inherently based in like wanting power and trying to find power through like different ways or trying to give up power through however they're defining what it means to be feminine whether that means you don't ever wear pants or you don't ever get to preach or you don't ever get to speak in a church setting or it means like the man always pays the bill and and in return you always give a blowjob or whatever the fuck so yeah to add on to my church thing, I don't even want to, I, have I ever told you about, like, churches doing, um, singles night? I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you right now, like, that's just, like, I don't know if you've ever heard that concept, but, um, matriarchs, um, with power within the church setting are also, I think, very socially interesting, because they, they don't have influence, but yet they do at the same time, and it's enough influence to make it uncomfortable to be anything against what is defined as black femininity within the church setting um something that counters it though that i thought was interesting was the people who i did see wear pants who were in the church setting were what do they call them ushers the people who would like walk down the aisle and like that's more of a place of i think i would consider like church servitude because you're serving the church and by then, you're, they're kind of washed out because they're all in uniform and everything. And there were obviously female um, ushers, but they get kind of like blurred in as an own separate entity away from the church and not as a part of the congregation, even though technically they are. Yeah. And I wonder even with ushers, if it's kind of like, it's not the same, but I wonder if, it, if, peop- if people view them the same socially as like, nuns not to be so extreme but it's just like you aren't even a socially available option so it's fine for you to wear pants because you're here to be a servant or a lot of times at least when I went to church a lot of times the ushers were kids or like teenagers so there is no need for you to perform a certain way because you're not even like available to participate in this realm of society because you're a child so yeah whatever you're well you will wear pants and then once you are an adult like you can't be an usher anymore because that's kid shit and now you are a woman and you need to be looking for a husband so you know church single put on that pencil skirt come on now it's bible study time um so yeah i just wonder if they're like separate that reminds me, another thing, another aspect of black femininity that was interesting in the church was that, like, what you were allowed to wear as a dress without comment. And by comment, I mean, like, hearing things from, like, the matriarchs and people, like, judging you based on your outfit. Like, wearing skin-tight clothing was not ideal to wear at church because, like, that's seen as loose and promiscuous and that, for some reason, takes away from... I guess, dignified <laughs> femininity within the church. Yeah. Um, there was someone who um, would wear dresses where, like, cleavage would show, and, like, the whispering within the church setting was, like, unbelievable about that person because, I mean, the titties is out, <laughs> and, like, oh, my God, the God would not look well oh upon this. He God. is, strike me down. Is that a boob crack? <laughs> one strike per titty, you know? I don't know. <laughs> one strike per titty. No, but you bringing that up makes me think, like, I think when you're an oppressed person, there's, like, very few ways in which you can find power societally, socially. And one of them is through, like, promiscuity, right, of looking at, you know, that's a loose woman, that's a fast child. I'm going to look down upon that other woman because she is um, 
she has the the flaps of a wizard's robe to take the to take the rhetoric from someone else you know what i mean like that woman has lost her morals there we go that's what i was looking for that's one way and the other way is like that woman isn't actually a woman right of saying of through transphobia and it's all through power like this desperation i know in a previous episode i've mentioned like i think black men and white women are so similar because they both want the power of white men I think if we are honest, like a lot of people want power in our society and a lot of people are stripped of that power. And so they are looking for it in any way they can within any social um, constructs that they navigate through. And for a lot of black women, that is through church. And for a lot of them, that means putting these high constraints upon morality on other women or outside of church, putting the same constraints on women and saying like only biological women quote unquote are allowed to actually participate within certain circles of community and stuff like that so i guess leaving the church like the heathen that i praise um um, do you have any i think more accessible examples of what this looks like like maybe more interpersonal like maybe if you uh, any thoughts or memories of attending maybe like what do you call it like volunteer things or activist in space or art spaces i think another way and which this is like exhibited um which i i do kind of have noted here is through xenophobia and like there is diaspora wars and like black american people not liking black foreign people and vice versa or whatever and shit like that and like particularly if people cannot tell off rip what you are sometimes people can look at me and they're like i know you are a child of africa immediately and they will treat me as such and it's normally like another person who is an immigrant um but lots of times people can't like even my students at my old job who were all immigrant kids couldn't tell that my parents were immigrants um But that's to say that that means that sometimes I will hear shit that's not meant for me or that is meant for me. Um, And so I think like another way in which this exhibits is through xenophobia. And there are a lot of black American people who are xenophobic as fuck and who do not like immigrants and who specifically do not like black immigrants. And while there is a bunch of nuance to that. There are a lot of instances in which, like, you can hear black Americans say stuff, and it's like you sound like conservative Republicans that also don't like your black ass, but suddenly, like, you align on this one thing. Um, But that's, like, another way, I think, in which we can see oppressed people who do have an access of power who aren't cognizant of it or who don't recognize it, um but still manifest it and push it very strongly. Thinking about my interactions with um, black immigrants, maybe I'm privileged because I, I live in an area where it's just in fluctuating people like all the time. Because I feel like I've never really had a problem with immigrants that were also of the brown melanin loveliness like me. But I have met people who do have a problem who are like... 
is, is the best way I can put it. And they do have conversations and thoughts that are like, uh, you know, for two seconds, I forgot the melanin in your skin just listening to you. And that's kind of alarming because you would think that we would all unite and do better as like a collective of melanin people. But it's not happening. And there's a lot of dangerous conversations and thoughts that like circulate super, super fast. And social media does not make it better. If anything, I feel like sometimes it makes it worse. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I mean, on the flip side, there are a lot of people who immigrate, who immigrate to the U.S. and like absorb anti-black rhetoric because they think as an immigrant, they are separate and don't realize that once they get here, white folks don't care to tell the difference <laughs> between whose family has been here for 400 years and whose family has not. Um, and so they do per perpetuate a lot of like anti-black American stuff. So it does go both ways. And I think that's also part of what makes it difficult. Um, but if, and I think there's like a really hard thing to acknowledge about being a black American and acknowledging that you have privilege because just being a black American period, you are so underprivileged in the US, but if you are able-bodied, you are still privileged. If you are neurotypical, you are still privileged. Living in the West in and of itself is a privilege. And while it doesn't feel that way because of the society we live in, like it's true. And both things can be true. You can be underprivileged as a black person, specifically as a black woman in America, and still be privileged because you are a cis person, because you are straight, because you're living in the West. And I think that's also just like a thing that's like hard to remedy and hard to acknowledge and that sometimes we get wrapped up in this idea of like the oppression Olympics. Um, I don't remember who said it. I think it was Kim of For Harriet, but she was like, black cis people do not get to decide what is the most oppressive, even though seemingly they're the ones who have it the worst in America, they do not get to decide what it is that is most oppressive because there are trans black people who are like not surviving past 35, right? So you don't get to decide what it is that is the most oppressive and what's the least oppressive. There are people who are suffering more than you for other reasons. Um, and I think that's like a really, really, really hard thing to remedy and a hard thing to acknowledge and like, I've realized in general I don't know. with activism spaces too, like, I feel like it's hard to conceive of, like, intersectional oppression. And when you mention that you are parts of two different types of struggles, people tend to, I guess, favor one over the other. They kind of, like, separate you by these identities or these issues, which is, like, you know... I am both at the same time, 24-7, this is, this is me, you know, it doesn't just stop at uh, 8 to 5, I, like, it's not a nightlife I'm thing. not 8 to 5, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I think the last, what's the last activism thing that I went to, and, oh no, not even activism, I was talking about activism, and being black and queer, and how interesting it is to be in spaces, and not being read as queer immediately which is a similar conversation that i've had with you but it was with someone else and i was just like yeah like no one's gonna be like oh yeah you're queer that's big gay over there so <laughs> you're good <laughs> i'm going to every event and signing it as big gay capital <laughs> b capital g that's me 
but I was saying, like, I was telling this person, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be read as queer. They're going to see, they're, they're going to assume that I'm a straight black woman because that's what's in media is a lot of cis black women. And so the spaces that would be occupied by queer black femmes or trans black trans women is kind of like in a corner on like on a, on a shelf getting dust at the moment when it comes to actors and spaces, which is really unfortunate and these resources aren't as available. I actually went off on Facebook literally, I think, two days ago, and I said, black stories needs to be voiced by black people and not summarized by others. Did that lady leave up? No, let me stop. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I'm always getting, like, two seconds from blowing up on the media, and it's honestly going to give me, like, blood pressure issues or something. I don't know. No, I agree. I think also the issue, though, because something that I was thinking about, and I was going to write about this, but I never did, is that when people think about black queerness, even that is, like, a very narrow image of what it is. And it's normally based off of, like, stereotypes relating to ball culture. And so part of, I think part of the reason why, like, you're not read as black and queer is because you're not performing in a way in which people are like, okay, you're flamboyantly queer. Um, and even that maybe is impossible because you're not male and you don't identify as a man or as masculine aligned. And I think a lot of, like, stereotypes with black queerness all have to do with being masculine aligned and like participating in ball culture and stuff like that um but i agree and i think we can also see this in like a way in the ways a lot of black people are homophobic and transphobic and they speak about gay people and trans people and queer people as if they are like some separate entity without acknowledging that like black people can be both i was thinking about um outside of actors and spaces, the other places where I would encounter similar rhetoric would be art spaces, especially because as I try to push for more writing and art within myself, and I come across a challenge of like, am I even allowed to bring issues together in one format? And I, I don't know, it's kind of like, it's one of those things where I like I'm not spread thin, but what I want to talk about intersects a lot. So it feels like people would only prefer to hear one aspect and not all of it at once, which is annoying. Um, art people in itself, they're just they're exhausting, <laughs> especially uh-huh. intersectional. They're just really exhausting. And I think when it comes to black mental health, which is something that I write. I think I would say the most on. Um, there's like no no space for it for black adults. There's like very little space for that in black art, and that's horrible. Um, I think it's only between this year and last year that I started to notice more black queer artists. Um, poetry is one space where I found the most um, black queer like writers. Outside of that, I'm not seeing much. Um, even performing or listening to spoken word, um, I'm thinking of Whiskey in the City, that narrative of how she performs is very much reminding me of, like, black um, femininity that is, like, as defined by a certain aspect, like church or, you know, the two-person couple or whatever. Yeah. I gotta move on. Um, 
No, I agree that I think it's like if you're writing as a black person within certain genres, like if you're writing within mental health, it's like, all right, we want to we want to know how racism affects you. And it's like, yeah, it does affect me. But there's other aspects of like being a black person that in fact that affects my mental health that I want to talk about. Um, It's kind of like whenever February rolls around, suddenly all of these publications are looking for black writers to talk about stuff. But the other 11 months of the year, you're not looking for black writers input type of thing. This is why I do my mini series, Black 365, being black doesn't stop at the end of February uh, or leap year. It it occurs (laughs) every other day. (laughs) But I think like, mm -hmm. I guess expanding outside of that, it's interesting that that can happen, but black people cannot then realize how we push that upon like other people who are marginalized within our communities. So again, thinking of like transphobia or thinking of xenophobia um, or thinking about how I need to plug my phone in because it's at 20%. We're not thinking about, (laughs) we're like, our community isn't looking at, you know what? I actually, I went to this event like a while ago. It was a black, a hashtag black creatives event. And somebody said something along the lines of like, I don't want us to be in this cycle of limiting our own narratives, right? Like already our narratives are defined as being this singular thing. We shouldn't then be like helping to perpetuate that by only highlighting a certain narrative. Like not everybody grew up in the ghetto. Not everybody grew up with only a single parent. Not everybody grew up in like, this struggle-based inner-city narrative. And some people did, and it is important to, to uplift that narrative and not show it as a shameful thing, but we also can't do it at the expense of all the other narratives that exist within the diaspora. And this person was arguing, like, as important as it is to uplift and, validi- and validify, validate, wow, what is English? Validate the experiences that have been, like, highlighted as the singular black experience in a negative way it's also important for us to like highlight the fact that black people do not exist in a monolith like there are people who exist outside of this narrative that we see so much um and that can be super hard like as as hard as it is outside of the community to say like i am a black artist i'm a black writer who is producing things that's not singularly focused on this thing it's just as hard, if not harder, to go within black communities and be like, I want to talk about queer shit as a black person and to be told no, like, we're not interested in that. Like, that's sinful. Um, we don't believe in that. We don't want to support that. We don't want to push the gay agenda. So you got to take that shit elsewhere. Like, that is a dynamic that exists and is just as dangerous as outside publications only believing in a singular black narrative. And that's what we do here on Biggest Anthology. We challenge these narratives. Allegedly. Allegedly, yes. Um, something that reminded me of like challenge narratives um, in the J fashion sense, uh, which is what community, one of the communities that I would consider myself a part of, um, Black J fashion people, that's a narrative in itself, and there's very little of it there, even though we Black people dress alternatively. I would say Afropunk is a space that you could see alternative black people, but, like, that's become a... a, 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 Yeah. So... (laughs) You can. 
Afropunk is really weird because you can see a lot of people who are dressed up strangely, but it is a space in which like black people have gentrified other black people's space. It's weird. It is. Um, when it comes to the idea of how fashion and self-expression work for alternative black people, Afropunk is a very interesting area because people are dressed different, yes, but they're also dressed the same. But that's that's a thesis for another time, guys. Different episode. <laughs> but I, I'm 100% for other narratives of Black people being out there, and that's what I want to see done in various areas of my life. And I'm blessed that I have you, Melanie, as someone who also challenges like a certain direct narrative to be like, yes, we do exist. I'm validated in this. That there's other people who do this and that and this and that that are also Black. Um, I would say this is probably a good time for me to segue into like how to encourage different um, black people within various communities. I think having community even online is a good tool for that. There's a page called Black Girls in Science Fiction and Fantasy. And I absolutely adore that page because finding out that there's even like people trying to be science fiction and fantasy writers that are black women really is encouraging and that makes me feel like yes I too can write in this genre and it's not just limited to white men who write about people chasing a ring for 30 years or whatever and please don't shade that book as if you did not like that whole series I haven't read the books actually so yikes I've read at least the fucking <laughs> the hobbit I had to read the hobbit trash and I can criticize something that I enjoy. I am multifaceted that way. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> allegedly. Not like it's my whole brand, but it's allegedly there. I was talking about like ways in which we can uplift the community instead of, you know, spreading this, this hate speech and making it like a shade room experience, you know? Wow, the shade room is hiring, by the way. And for all of you who live in California, <laughs> the shade room is hiring writers, funnily enough. Um, I was talking with my manager and somebody else about the Democratic nominees today. <laughs> oh, God. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> I was not willingly doing that to myself. Um, but having that conversation, it made me realize, like, I don't know, like, how much we're willing to sacrifice in hopes of having, like, a unified image to others. Um, and sometimes you just gotta give that shit up. The, the image not gonna be fucking unified, so just do what the fuck you are doing, you know? Um, but I think another way in which... How did you phrase it? A way... Ways in which we can... Like, uplift or build up our community without, like, spreading more hate to other aspects of our community? Yeah. I think a really, 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 really important thing to do, one, is to acknowledge that you don't know everything. It's okay to say I don't know. I think there are a lot of different, we are, there are a lot of different social pressures that tell us that it's not okay to not know everything, and that's not true. You can say that you don't fucking know what's going on, that you need to do some further research and figure some shit out. And two, I think it's really important to acknowledge internally that there is no way 
there is no way to perverse systems of oppression into your favor. You cannot manipulate patriarchy to your benefit. You cannot manipulate racism or ableism or transphobia or capitalism to your benefit because it was not made for you to succeed. If you are a marginalized person, there is no way to manipulate that system into your favor. Or you have to acknowledge that like, sure, you can marry a a wealthy man and be kept, quote unquote, for the rest of your life. But acknowledging that you are simply participating in the system, you are not helping to destroy it or dismantle it or to question it. Not everybody got to be a freedom fighter, but we have to acknowledge that you cannot participate in the systems and live healthily. Like your, your life will inherently be unhealthy. And I think that there is a difference between participating in a system and endorsing it like I participate in capitalism because I have a nine to five job I get paid a salary like I have to participate in capitalism to survive but I am not endorsing people to join into that shit I'm not readily endorsing and encouraging people to participate in the system because I know that it is unhealthy and I'm only doing so because I have to do it to survive so I think you have to both start with acknowledging that you don't fucking know everything and that that is okay and that you can Google some shit and you cannot participate or perverse systems of oppression into your favor because it's they were never built to be in your favor. There is nothing you can do to manipulate it to benefit you. Just know that we're all losers here is what I'm... <laughs> Basically. <laughs> losers Club. Stay tuned for the Ambiguous Anthology merch. Um... I would say another way to kind of encourage the community is to also listen to voices outside of your own, if that makes sense. Like, I can't speak to what it means to be a a black trans woman, but I can listen to their stories. I can read about it. I can engage with that content to get a better understanding. I'm not going to be, like, a, a professor or anything, but, like, I can have, an, a, like, a very, like, basic simple understanding of it although simple wouldn't be what i would call it and from then on not be an (laughs) a-hole as a black woman you know that's something like taking the time to learn about voices about yourself is actually very important and i feel like a lot of people don't put enough time in doing that so yeah and i think another thing that expands upon that is that you lose nothing by supporting people who are further marginalized by you. You lose nothing by using a trans person's pronouns. You lose nothing by donating to trans women. You lose nothing by like supporting. I mean, we can't, we keep using trans people and trans women specifically as an example. Um, but like you lose nothing by helping neurodivergent people. You lose nothing by, Whatever, like someone who's more marginalized you than you in a different way, you lose nothing by supporting them. And I think about this too with like the woman who paid $100,000 to bail out R. Kelly You're and now wants mess. that money back, <laughs> right? Like you're a fucking fool and you deserve to lose that money because you wanted to involve it in mess. But it's also like, you know what would have cost you less? Not supporting that motherfucker. How about that? Or pushing that money towards like, people who needed it yeah exactly (laughs) like i don't know i think the other thing too that i'm just thinking of specifically like with trans women just because trans women are like so 
and this isn't a thing like I I want to look into is like why trans women are so prone to being victims of violence while trans men aren't or like why or seemingly like the stats seem to show that I mean maybe there are trans men who are being killed just as frequently but we don't see it um but like you <laughs> supporting these women and like helping protect them does not put you in a place of violence a lot of the times as them like someone saying yo i need twenty dollars today so i can eat and you sending them five of that twenty dollars does not put you in a place of harm as opposed to them being stuck out on the street or them being stuck hungry for the day um so as much as it's like learning about these people's stories can keep you informed and like enrich you also just supporting people who are more marginalized than you does not put you in harm because you are in a position of power in comparison to them i agree and i'm hoping that the people at home also agree or at least can empathize potentially sympathize with what we've said today because this is a very heavy topic especially because this issue is something that's not really talked about as much as it could be um, within the black women who are having these large platforms or even within the smaller section even looking smaller um, people who have places of power or positions of power I should say um, I'm talking about your deacons at church um, you know yes. things like <laughs> things like that yeah boss your YouTube guru. Actually, um, the other thing I think that's like more specifically about trans women and like you lose nothing by further supporting them. Um, bro, I just had it and I forgot again. Okay, never mind. Never mind. We'll tweet it out if Melanie remembers. If I remember. The next three to five business days. It's <laughs> profound, I swear. I, I believe it. You say a lot of profound stuff. Allegedly. Um, <laughs> oh my god <laughs> is that the episode uh title allegedly, allegedly. um i don't have any more thoughts if you had anything that you wanted to throw out there even though you just lost your thought two seconds ago but <laughs> i do have something with like it's like specific to trans women oh a lot okay so a lot of the transphobia coming out of black women has to do with like this fear of competing for the small amount of available straight black single men um and i think a lot at your church guys all right come on (laughs) though a lot of the single men at um church actually be married and lying anyway i think a lot of the transphobia coming out of black women is based around fear and around like competition and like there's only so many single straight black men if these trans women are also competing for them that's short like depleting from our pool um and the guy is sis that motherfucker gonna date who the fuck he wants to date regardless so you trying to dehumanize trans women and make it seem like i'm a biological woman and that's something different it don't fucking matter like I don't know. I just wish people would understand, like, you trying to dehumanize people who are more marginalized than you and trying to participate in these systems that dehumanize them is just fucking all of us over in the end. And really, it would be for your benefit to leave them alone. But I think a lot of it 
is based in fear, basically. It's based in this fear of, like, competition and desirability. And I think a lot of black femininity is based, again, in fear and desirability and finding your value in a man, normally a man that ain't shit. And it's like, maybe you should divest from that and find other ways to find value, find other relationships to put value into and then you know maybe you get some dick there's something a question that i think would be interesting to talk about um why is black femininity so defined by black relationships or romantic relationships like why is it required that a black woman be with a black man like that's a very big thing for what it means to be black and feminine but this is something are to you listening <laughs> are you listening <laughs> No, I think I think that does con- like I think that connects to this at least because I think the answer is attributed to like power. And I think a lot of oppressing people I think all of oppression is connected to power, the search for power. And if you if your search for femininity, which defines who you are, is connected to something that is connected to a power system that is connected to you oppressing people who don't fit within that, right? Because, like, even if we exclude the, de- like, the distinctions between cis and trans women, there's still this performance of femininity. And if you can or cannot perform that and how that defines you as a woman or not, right? Like, I don't know if you had this, but I had a lot of instances where it was like, you can't cook. Like, you're not a good woman. What are you doing? You're not doing enough to be a woman because you can't do these specific things. Um, I did, but it was more of a surprised response to it. Like, oh, you can cook. Like, did that? Did I meet a checklist or something? Like, something like that. It was that sort of energy. <laughs> oh, no, I had the opposite of, like, you can't cook. Like, it was expected of me. Um, but if we're connecting like very finite things to defining femininity and one of those things being attributed to like putting your value into a man or putting the skills that you build into things that will be of value to a man, that's connected to power. And you know what? I was thinking to myself, self, I was thinking (laughs) about the like, the like mother son complex thing. And I was thinking like, I think a lot of the root of the mother-son complex thing is like women being raised to find their value in men. Like you initially find your value in a man being attracted to you, which is your husband. And then you output your value in how good you are able to raise a man, AKA your son. And so that's why no woman will ever be good enough for your son because you inherently view value. You inherently view women as less than men. And you inherently view your son as like the highest man because that's where you put all of your value and your morals or whatever. Um, But it made me think of like, if that's how you're viewing your life, you're viewing your whole life in terms of how you are of value to men, then your whole shit is connected to a power system that is not made for your benefit. I don't know, really trippy shower thought. But the point is... um, yeah, if you're viewing your value and your femininity in connection to how useful you are to a man, then uh, of course it'll inherently be just like toxic and twisted and shit. I just I just don't want to be a factory output for more overvalued men, you know? Like I I don't want to be a part of that that little uh auto auto 
quadratic line, like, you know, they do cars and stuff. There's actually a term for it, and it's crazy that I was in the engineering part of high school, but I can't remember what it was. Assembly line? Assembly line, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about it a lot, so that's why I was roasting myself for not remembering immediately. Wow. But um, I don't want to be a part of that sort of system when it comes to maybe, like, the idea of the family dynamic or the... Don't even get me started on the very high desirability for the black family dynamic and what that means. Because let's, you know, we do have another episode before the other, the 69th episode. The, the Yes. <laughs> episode 69, girl. <laughs> the, the, I'm not going to put the theme song. I'm just going to put a bunch of like water drops. I just want you to know. Like, oh my squish, squash. God. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> But there's there's a lot of conversation starters that are coming out of um, this podcast specifically, and I wonder if the people at home have their own thoughts they would like to share in regards to this topic. Hopefully, or if they made had sense any impressions. of ours. Yeah, we have interactions on SoundCloud. I sorry that I have not acknowledged any of you guys, but hello, I see you guys liking episodes and stuff. And what do you call it? Is it retweeting or like reposting the episodes? Um, reposting, I think, is what it's called. Yeah, and I see you guys reposting and stuff, and I appreciate that energy. Um, if you would talk back, though, that'd be a whole nother energy appreciation. I cut okay, out, sorry. but I have nothing. Uh, I know, have nothing I'm left. Here. Me and my my happy hour dosed brain sulked, sunked, sulked, sulked. You did good what? for happy hour dosed brain. I'm I'm proud of you. Oh, thank you. I support your intellectual inquiries that you put out into the universe. I try. So I guess it's the wrap up. So this week, the listener question is, do you, after hearing this episode, of course, participate in recycling harmful rhetoric on social media? Um, I'm just curious how you guys feel about that. If you've ever asked yourself that question, this is the time to do so. And then our recommendations for this week are Melanie. My recommendation is the article Four Things Cis Folks Are Clueless About Trans Folk by West Anderson on The Body Is Not an Apology magazine. It will be linked in the description below if you're listening on SoundCloud or shared through our Twitter um, with the link to this episode. And then my recommendation is to engage with or donate to TWOCC. I quoted them in the opening of this episode, and it is the Trans Women of Color Collective. Um, They have a lot of interesting resources and things that they do for the black trans community as well. There's actually specifically one for health that I thought was very intriguing. Um, Definitely give it a look. Check it out. I don't know which link Melanie's going to use to share the thing. Probably just add their social media because they are TWOCC on social media as well. And then the recap. Today, we talked about problematic oppressed people focusing on black Hold it down. <laughs> we had... <laughs> a lot of engagement with what this looks like, what harmful rhetoric is. Um, I give a very colorful example with the church and the house of God. <laughs> um, Melanie shared some insights from some of the things that she's seen on the web. And she honestly went full professor on y'all today, so y'all better respect and throw... Drunken some... professor. <laughs> professor on a that, Friday. I know. Yeah, throw her some, I don't know, some Venmo something. I don't know. I'm dead. I don't know. <laughs> 
Venmo her for her intelligence, please. Cash support at artists. me at Money Melon. <laughs> I would be really wild if someone actually attempted to cash at you, by the way. That's money spelled M-U-N-N-Y, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then we ended this episode by talking about ways in which you can encourage the building of our community without harming other aspects within the community, like um, queer black people, um, neurodivergent um, black people, and trans Differently abled. Yeah, differently able. There's a whole list of, like, the black narrative is not just one singular thing, guys. It divulges out like a tree. So, listener question for this week is, do you participate in recycling harmful rhetoric on social media? And then our recommendations for this week were? My recommendation is the article, Four Things Cis Folks Are Clueless About Trans Folks by West Anderson via The Body Is Not An Apology magazine is linked below or can be found linked in our Twitter thread for this episode. And then my recommendation was to engage with or donate to TWOCC, which is the Trans Women of Color Collective. And that is all that we have for you guys today. We will see you guys next time and happy podcasting.